Welcome to Fully Yours, a podcast about food, the sacred, and ordinary moments of extraordinary belonging. Hey, this is Christy. And this is Chloe. And this is Eva. We are three friends who met in graduate school in Boston. We were already in love with food and some of its relationships with things like spirituality and justice and faith, um, but fell in love with it even more so through some of our experiences as three seminarians. We're so grateful that you tuned in to this cross-country conversation. Grab a seat at the table, have a warm or cold beverage for yourself, depending on where you live, um, and enjoy this conversation today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Continuing with the theme of food and time in this season three of Fully Yours, we're going to be looking at this topic through a couple of different resources in our conversation today. The first is an article that we read in the fabulous magazine called Civil Eats, which I highly recommend um, that you read if you're able to access a a subscription. Um, Civil Eats deals with a lot of different issues such as economics, farming, politics, um, and their intersections with food. So the article we read from there is called More Time in the Kitchen May Not Be the Answer to Feeding Kids Well. Um, A little bit of a sobering title, but this article really examines some of the economic and social structures that impact our ability to feed ourselves and others well. The second is a chapter called Surpassing Civilization, which is in the book Soil and Sacrament, written by Fred Banson, and we will share later a little bit more about um, who he is and the authors of the Civil Eats article as well. Um, And this chapter is really focused on a Jewish community farm called Adamah um, and their practice of Sabbath um, and how that offers a really countercultural stance um, to our kind of modern, fast-paced Western culture. Um, So we're we're excited to dive in um, to our learnings from these articles today. We're so glad that you joined us. Yeah, one of the things that I really enjoyed about this article, the Civil Eats article, um, it just basically like called to attention the very issue that so many of us face. So just as a disclaimer, none of us are parents at the moment. We're reading this through eyes of busy young professionals. And at the same time, like more time in the kitchen may not be the answer for feeding ourselves well. (laughs) That's sort of the direction that we're coming from. But um one of the things that it that it really pushes back against is this idea that we have to have everything perfect. Uh, there's a lot of social pressure to be eating um, organic or whole foods or uh, just really complicated recipes that are super, super healthy for us, but oftentimes take a lot of time and financial resources. And the article itself is based on a book called Pressure Cooker, which talks all about the complexities of of this field of trying to eat well, but recognizing that time is often not in our favor. Yeah, there's uh, three three authors who worked on this book together, Sarah Bowen, Jocelyn Brenton, and Seneca Elliott. And they come from um, different lenses to look at this discipline from sort of from an sociological perspective and what they're really trying to dig at is what is this connection between sort of what 
cultural expectations or societal expectations there are around what it means to be healthy and what it means to care for our families and as Christy said also our our own bodies and how does that actually relate to the resources we have um, being time and and financial resources as well and so um, I like how the article kind of lays out what the the authors are trying to get at. And one of them that's that's really compelling and kind of different is um, uncom- uncoupling the link between scratch cooking and good mothering. And like Christy said, I think that can be expanded in a lot of ways. Like what, where are our expectations being linked with... Um, with how we approach the kitchen, uh, how we approach food and feeding ourselves, and um, where where is there dissonance between those expectations and kind of our lived lives? And is that dissonance is it helpful, and or is it causing um, is it actually becoming a barrier to to taking care of ourselves in whatever the way that means? Yeah, I feel like I can sort of speak from experience. So I just recently finished up a stint working at a coffee shop and I was waking up at three or four in the morning, depending on the day, Uh, three during the week and four (laughs) during the weekends. And my body shifted to wanting to eat at really random times during the day. And on top of that, I would get free food and free drinks from this coffee shop (laughs) and that's great on the wallet, but like I can feel that I have not been good to myself and yet it's also what I needed to do in that moment to save money and to feed myself and looking at the calorie count of the things that I was consuming. It's like, well, this will give me enough energy to finish out my shift. So this is a really, really difficult thing to try and figure out, well, we're, we're caught between a rock and a hard place. How do we save money while at the same time being healthy to ourselves? And the sort of guilt and the shame that can come from that is really difficult to process. Yeah, I thought it was also really interesting. Um, they talk a lot about parenting and the complexities of parents' um, Balancing not only time and money complications and restraints, but um, just trying to put something on the table that's um, that's healthy and nourishing. And um, they mention a lot of the words that many of the women they talked to, um, a lot of words that kept coming up, things like um, control, exhaustion, um, guilt, and, you know, just this immense pressure, even... Even the pressure to be balanced is just something that, I don't know, I experience a lot in my own life. Um, This idea that, oh, I don't want to overexert myself, so I need to be, I need to pay attention to lots of different things, whether it's, you know, trying to access local food, which is not always easy or affordable, Um, you know, trying to carve out time to sit at, at a table and have dinner with my husband but then also trying to take care of my physical health in other ways. And yeah, and it's just, it's just very, it's just a lot. And I'm, I don't even have a kid. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just feel like it's sort of the, um, I think it can be the elephant in the room that 
we sort of assume that most of us are able to are able to talk about balance and able to I don't know I, I think just like what you're saying Christy about this constant narrative of perfection and yeah and I don't I don't know how we I don't know how we undo that but um, I just think it's a challenge that they bring up that's really important yeah I thought that was really interesting when uh, one of the authors Jocelyn Brenton is talking about that in this interview and she said I soon began from her conversations uh, with the interviewees I soon began to see that balance was an illusion they were trying to balance work with cooking healthy meals with exhaustion and yet nobody seemed to be questioning this idea that balance was possible that really gave me some pause to to take a step back um I definitely feel that that drive. I think uh, throughout my life and just kind of going through the school system, there was always this sense that I could handle it all, that I should be able to handle it all. And we do the best that we can, I think. And yet I, for myself personally, I, I often feel like I'm falling short of total peace of mind and being able to juggle uh, many different things at once. And I know that 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 shows up in my my own food world. Um, I have, I think it's actually one of my favorite procrastination techniques, but it involves um, somewhere along along uh, my journey, I came up with the idea that I could sort of plan out this great meal plan for every week and be able to have it fit within our budget and um, it would only take a couple hours to prep and then I would know exactly what every meal was going to be. And so I have written out, if I go back over the years, I think I've written out like probably 400 different meal plans. <laughs> seriously, this is what I do when I have to write essays instead. But <laughs> but I still, I have this thing in me telling me it's possible that one day I'll find the magical key <laughs> to make this all work. Because I, I do, I feel like I'm being tugged. I want to be healthy. I want to be taking care of the um, the environment in my local community. I want to be responsible mm. with my money. I want to be doing all of this while also caring for my family and working these jobs that require a lot of emotional and physical energy. Um, and so they're kind of talking about this interesting swing of, you know, as women entered the workforce, um, or had the option to enter the workforce, which is amazing, kind of those other pressures of creating, and, you know, they're, they're focusing on, should say, on women and um, motherhood explicitly, kind of as a starting point, and we know that that's, uh, that itself as a whole um, has a lot more complexity and nuance to it. But it's interesting, as uh, this whole shift happened, in our economy, in our culture, um, I think they said over the last 40, 50 years or so, maybe those expectations around what parenting look, looks like haven't adjusted well. Yeah, one of the things that the, the article brought up as well that Chloe touched on is like we, 
we really care. Like we want to be able to do everything that we can to support the environment, to support our family, to support local business and local agriculture. But like one of the quotes in this particular article, a lot of people in this particular book that they were talking about um, were getting food stamps and those food stamps were super important. But Another surprise quote was how invested all the families were in food. There's this discourse that if you don't have a lot of money, you can't afford to care about food. But all of the moms in the study, regardless of where they were on the socioeconomic scale, cared and thought about it and put a lot of work into it, end quote. And so I think I think one of the things that we struggle with is, is this idea that we have to be perfect, that there's a balancing act that we have to have to put together and that we care so deeply about the world around us and about our families, but it makes it that much more difficult to be able to achieve what we want Mm. to achieve. And I don't, we, we have to be honest and just say like, it's not possible. We can't do everything. And that's hard. That's really, really hard. Mm -hmm. Right. And even factoring in, they were talking about just access to like kitchen tools that that is a huge hindrance for a lot of families you know a working stove (laughs) things like that that just kind of add to add a little bit to this this struggle yeah for me it really hits home this paradox that I think many of us are living in where and I'm speaking for my own experience part of the joy of cooking is cooking and creating and participating in meaning around a table is that it is this antidote. It is an, a no to this culture around me that places mine, my and our value in being productive in accessing things efficiently, um, cheaply, conveniently um, at, at any cost. Um, and many of those costs are hidden, you know, in our health and cost to the planet and to the social systems around us. Um, but at the same time, like in our efforts to strive for this balance, for this um, almost like a romanticization of the table, we end up replicating this system, which is frankly a, a capitalist system that we're trying to undo in the first place. So I think, I think the authors are really dead on when they talk about the need for systemic change that anytime we're talking about food and from a macro level really really changing people's ability to feed themselves and others well we have to talk about living wages we have to talk about the agency and sovereignty of individuals and families to pick food that feels culturally relevant to them and to their families we have to talk about snap benefits and other federal assistance programs so i i just think that they they really hit the nail on the head with that. For each of you, have I'm curious about have there been sort of little seeds of change in your own life or seeds that you feel like have brought some fruit in regards to because it, it can be easy to to for myself at least to feel overwhelmed by the big picture sometimes, especially when it comes to food systems. And I'm curious both of you as as pastors and um in your own journey what are what are some of the tiny seeds that that allow you to walk through that and with that 
Yeah, I guess one of the things um, that is really life-giving that's even quoted in this article is it's okay to give your kid or yourself a frozen pizza on Wednesday. Like one of those, one of the largest hurdles that I think we have to deal with, especially as women, is is rejecting shame. And in I've I've been on and off weight loss programs and diets and all that stuff. And the number one thing that they tell you is like, don't worry about it if you find yourself, quote unquote, cheating. Like you need to be able to minimize the quote unquote bad foods in your diet. But like, don't be ashamed and don't let yourself go on this guilt trip because you had one scoop of ice cream after dinner. Like don't don't allow yourself to to go down that road because it just becomes a spiral. And so one of the things that I've been working hard on is okay, this is my life right now. This is just a season. And once things clear up, once I get a more uh regular work schedule, then there are goals that I can can move towards. One of the really cool things, too, on a more practical level is um, I was down in Connecticut visiting my parents not too long ago, a couple of weekends ago, and I was going up to dinner church like three hours away. (laughs) And so what I did is I drove from Connecticut um, and stopped at my place in central Massachusetts. And I was telling my mom all this and I was like, I have to figure out what to bring to dinner church. I don't know what I, you know, I I just don't know what to do. And she was like, how here, have a can of tomatoes. Do you have rice at home? And I said, yes, I have rice. And she said, do you have black beans? And I said, yes, I have black beans. She said, make black beans and rice. And I was like, oh yeah, (laughs) okay, let's do it. And so I went home, I chopped up an onion, I added adobo and a ton of smoked paprika. I'm on a smoked paprika kick right now. Mm, I love uh, it. Right. And I sauteed all of that together with some garlic. And then I threw in the can of tomatoes and um, added the rice and sauteed the rice with the tomatoes just to get it all nice and roasty. And then added the black beans and some chicken broth. And that was that. And Mm. one of the coolest things is that I did it all in this is I swear this is not a paid advertisement, but I did it all (laughs) in the instant pot that Chloe gave me (laughs) when she moved from Boston. Um, And like (laughs) when you do uh, rice and beans in an instant pot, I swear I'm not advertising. (laughs) They did not pay me to say this. By the way, if you want to be a sponsor for this podcast. (laughs) Right. We'll include a link in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, it it is really an all-in-one appliance. And I finished that. I threw it in the back of my car. I drove another hour and a half or hour, I guess it is, um, up to northern Massachusetts. And it was a big hit. So, like, one of the things that's really cool is finding those multi-use appliances and really using them to your advantage and also figuring out what you already have in your cabinet, right? Like, it yes, doesn't... that's big. Right? It doesn't have to be this huge, complicated thing. It can be as simple as rice and beans. So, that's just um, mm. one example of how I've, I've tried to find that balance, not only on a macro level of, like, my overall health and the seasons that I find myself in, but also on a smaller scale, like I made one decision of rather than going to the supermarket and getting, I don't know, a 
Boston cream pie because we're in Boston, you know, and having that be my dinner <laughs> church thing. I decided on something that I already had available, plus my mom's canned tomatoes. So <laughs> what about you, Eva? Yeah, I am. Um, I really love that you brought up shame. I think um, it's real sort of related to this. And I know that earlier in or in your last season, you had a conversation with someone about like food and thinking about eating disorders and um, just the role that shame and food can play together in some really unhealthy ways. Um, And I've sort of been on a non-diet journey over the past year. And um, a lot of that was really ignited by experiences I had working in the hospital, getting a lot of comments about my body, mostly just like getting questions about like pregnancy and people commenting on my belly and um which is just totally inappropriate by the way yeah like just don't ask like never ask people if they're pregnant um yeah and so I had I had a dear friend sort of reach out and offer some resources for not just thinking about like sort of body positivity more generally but like there's a lot of research that's been coming out in the past I mean really since like the 80s about how unsustainable dieting really is and that it can it can lead to things like weight cycling that are overall not not great for you um but I I mean I could go on and on about that so I I won't do that but um yeah but basically just learning to trust um I mean through this practice called intuitive eating like rather than focusing on like quote-unquote good foods versus bad foods like trying to trust the wisdom that my body already has about what it wants to eat, um, paying attention to when foods make me feel energized versus when they might make me feel kind of draggy or, but like if I eat something that makes me draggy, like not feeling shameful about it, just like, yeah, I ate a, I ate a, you know, one too many slices of pizza and I feel a little sluggish and I really want to go back to work, but like I'll take a walk around the block and I'll probably be okay. Yeah, and so really just, like, decoupling this idea that, like, I am absolutely morally bound to only feed myself good things, Mm. which just creates more shame and judgment, self-judgment, to, like, just trusting, like, trusting that I have the tools already to know what it is that's going to help me fuel my body and meaningful ways but also um nourishing ways so so that's like sort of a journey I've been on that's really helped with I mean I'm still like interested in cooking things that are I mean I don't want to say mostly plant-based but um because I do eat a fair amount of meat but just focusing more on what like what do, what do I feel like cooking tonight and like if it's easy great if it's more complicated like Maybe we save that for a night when we have more time or, um, yeah. So I think just, just chilling out, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, perfectionism and pressure in so many other areas of my life is real. Um, and I don't need to add more than I already have. <laughs> and food is to be celebrated and enjoyed and, yeah, there's still a lot of problems with our food systems. And, like, 
if there's a role I can play in helping change that, I will. But I think I'm less of a crusader for that than I used to be Mm. in terms of telling people what they should be eating Mm. or... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that, that sort of brings up a whole other topic we could explore, but. Well, I think, I think that does sort of touch on the expectations that mothers might have on each other and society might have on, on mothers to feed their kids well. So I, I used to do youth ministry. I was the director of youth ministries in a fairly wealthy town and, um, Though I didn't hear this directly, I imagine that this might happen here. We just had a Whole Foods that moved into that wealthy town. And I could imagine that the pressure of parents to feed their kids whole organic foods pretty well increased when when Whole Foods moved into town. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a very wealthy community, a community that is able to afford that sort of thing. But it also complicates the it it complicates what it means to truly listen to your body and try and figure out what is it that my body truly needs uh right Eva when you were talking it reminded me of um Ayurveda the understanding of like trying to figure out what is good for my body and and what does my body need and so Chloe can I can't quite remember exactly how it goes but you have like earth um, yeah, there's there's different dosha types. Yes. And so it's there's sort of this, it's pretty beautiful, this recognition in this very um, ancient practice and, and body of knowledge that came out of India that just among the community that we have, we have various um, body types and various ways that are I'm by no I'm <laughs> by no means an expert here, obviously. I just um this has been something that I've found really intriguing and beautiful. And so just looking at how um our our own dosha types um might impact what what foods are most complementary to our bodies and that can change within a day, within, you know, over our lifespan. Um, but just an awareness that that involves. Yeah, that that does remind me of intuitive eating. And when I first learned about it, and I'm still very much in the beginning stages of my journey with it, um, it really is a process. And the first step um, is, well, rejecting the diet mentality, rejecting the idea that first I have to change my body before I can really address my health um and like really reclaiming health as a very holistic thing that if if I'm only concerned with my physical health with what I'm putting in what I'm putting out how I'm moving um which is only one small part of our health if if I'm if I'm doing that to the detriment of my mental and emotional and social and spiritual health then I'm not I'm not taking the steps I need to be and an entirely healthy person. And I think in my early journey with loving food and talking about and learning about food systems, I was very concerned with this idea that 
which I still very much believe that everyone has the right to access um, affordable, healthy food. But I think I was very invested in a kind of moral, moral argument that everybody must eat healthy food all the time, especially if, you know, they have health concerns, you know, and they need to have food needs to be this way that they change their body. And the more that I have learned about intuitive eating and this concept called health at every size, the less I am concerned about our need or anybody's need to tell someone what they should or shouldn't be eating. Where do you both feel spirituality comes into this conversation? For me, I think I'm hearing themes about awareness, about trusting sort of the wisdom of of our body, of our, our souls, our desire. Definitely themes of justice. Yeah, I think I'm feeling, um, and maybe this was, was because this was preached this morning, but um, this morning in church we read about how um, Peter in the um, New Testament of the Christian Bible Uh, Peter is one of the apostles. And so in this particular story, there's a bedsheet that comes down and don't feel bad if it sounds weird because it's weird. (laughs) The Christian Bible, it can be weird in some points. But this (laughs) this sheet comes down and there are animals standing on this sheet. And um, Peter looks at this this vision and he's very confused. And God says, eat these animals. And Peter says, no, I, I'm not going to do that. That is forbidden by our law. Um, and God tells Peter, do not call what is clean in my eyes unclean. And so one of the things that, um, that this article really brings up for me in this entire topic is like when we look at other people's eating habits and when we look at our own eating habits, like we should not be putting that shame on ourselves or on anybody else because of what they're eating, because of the expectations that we feel. And I think so often we use comparison as a toxic tool. And I think that requires a lot of undoing of societal pressures because I think comparison Mm. is one of those things that just happens naturally but I think we need to resist that that temptation to compare and contrast well look at what she brought in to lunch to eat you know it's a kale salad with organic dressing or whatever (laughs) versus like I'm eating something from the coffee shop that I work at and that comparison is easy to make but like don't call what somebody else is eating clean or unclean like it just is and we need to fuel our bodies in the best way that we can and so allowing ourselves to alleviate that pressure and just knowing that like we are loved regardless of of what we look like of what we eat of how much we have to eat we are loved Mm. yeah yeah so connecting a little bit to um the other the chapter we read in Soil and Sacrament, which is a book written by Fred Banson. And Fred is now the director of um, the Food, Health, and Ecological Wellbeing Program um, at the Wake Forest School of Divinity. In this book, he's visiting four different gardens um, throughout the country 
um, before, or I guess as he was writing this book, he had just left pastoring a church and also being the director of a community garden in North Carolina and was feeling a little bit burnt out, a little bit um, just at a place of discernment and reflection about how does food and the church um, come together and, and and food and spirituality more broadly. He also visits non-Christian gardens. And um, in the chapter we read, he's visiting a Jewish farm called Adama um, and having a, a conversation with some folks who live in this community together and um, talking about Sabbath and hearing you talk about like sort of taking the lid off the pressure cooker, um, sort of getting back to that, that article too, Christy. Um, there's, a, I, I just, I hear a real theme of like rest and justice also in this community. And um, I mean, here they're talking about Jewish law and they say, quote, these laws were intended not only to give the land a rest, but as a way of preventing disparities of wealth from spiraling out of control. Um, there was an ancient recognition that healthy societies are inextricably dependent upon healthy ecosystems. Um, and really getting at this idea that the health of people is deeply linked to the health of the land um, and that healthy land also has to rest. And in our in our typical Western way of doing agriculture, like the land is like every bit of food that can be extracted from a piece of land is you don't often find large agribusinesses like advocating for let's let the fields lay fallow this year and like we don't need to worry about our profits um so yeah i just i just think that that role of rest is not just about um sort of taking it easy before i go back to work again but like this is a commandment. It is a practice of recognizing that I am not, and the land is not just something to be worked and produced. And yeah, and I think even in our best intentions, like when we're trying to feed ourselves well or feed others well, we do become that system of extraction, um, whether it's self-imposed or imposed from the society around us. So yeah, so I just thought, I just thought that was a really really powerful example and um obviously not all of us have the ability to take sabbath or that you know that's not necessarily in our language and um so i guess the, a question there is like what what might this look like in our lives um or how do we invite those around us to participate in it with us um even in some small ways yeah, this is a really important topic and theme, and we talked a little bit about it back in um, our episode in the first season with Rebecca, who who works at Adama, and I'm almost hearing some echoes, Eva, between what you were talking about in terms of intuitive eating. So we're we're just our the first article that we talked about talks a lot about our limitations of time and just the reality that because of our economies time may be something that we don't have a lot of and that may affect our cooking um and so for me I've been trying to kind of tease out okay what's the connection between 
these this article and this chapter and how does it meld? Um, I think the way that Shabbat is practiced at Adama and in in many uh, communities is so incredible. Um, and if that is something, if if the lessons and the wisdom um, of really this this very beautiful, sacred, ancient practice, um, if that is to be shared, how how do we live that out in worlds or in communities where that time is not protected and that practice is not um, uplifted and upheld and recognized and, you know, very much in the concrete ways, but also just in these little um, moments of, of rest and the theme of rest, really. And but the the one connection that I do here is when you're talking about kind of also seeing like that time pressure so deeply related to the 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 expectation pressure, the societal mm. pressure that you both have been talking about. And so like where do we take rest from that pressure? And is that where um you know, having a, a range and diversity with our meals and recognizing that s- some meals may may live up to these expectations and other meals are going to be what we do to survive and um, mm. and easing, easing up there and how we look and evaluate that. Like, is that in a sense rest as well? Resting from... from kind of these stringent expectations into a more flexible, um, easeful way to be in relationship with food and one another. I'm just, I'm sort of sitting with that because I think, yeah, I think the answer is not easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that does come to mind is, is presence and mindfulness um, that when we do feel the rush, when we do feel overwhelmed, when we're flat out, I mean, all of us have very stressful jobs and, and it can be very difficult to, to find time for ourselves and, um, and to find Sabbath time and be able to, to have um, that rest. But I think, one of the things that mindfulness allows us to partake in is a moment of recognition, a moment to be able to plant our feet on the ground and to be fully present to what it is that we are engaged with. But it's not easy. I mean, in the moment, our brain is in so many different places and we're trying to remember this thing and that thing and one of the most beautiful things, and I may have mentioned this before, and if I have, I'm sorry, but I just, I love it. There's a poet by the name of John O'Donohue, and he wrote, I love him. So good. Um, he wrote this poem called For One Who Is Exhausted, A Blessing. And I'm just going to read uh, a, a portion of it. When the rhythm of the heart becomes hectic, Time takes on the strain until it breaks. Then all the unattended stress falls in on the mind like an endless increasing weight. The tide you never valued has gone out and you are marooned on unsure ground, 
Something within you has closed down and you cannot push yourself back to life. At first, your thinking will darken and sadness will take over like listless weather. The flow of unwept tears will frighten you. You have traveled too fast over false ground. Now your soul has come to take you back. Take refuge in your senses. Open up to all the small miracles you rushed through. Become inclined to watch the way of rain when it falls slow and free. Draw alongside the silence of stone until its calmness can claim you. Be excessively gentle with yourself. Learn to linger around someone of ease who feels they have all the time in the world. Gradually, you will return to yourself, having learned a new respect for your heart and the joy that dwells far within slow time. Thank you so much for joining us at the table. We would love to hear from you. Let us know what you think by leaving a rating on iTunes, or if you have show ideas, comments, or just want to reach us directly, send us an email at fully.yours.podcast at gmail.com. For today's show notes, our blog, and more, be sure to check us out at fullyyourspodcast.com. Huge thanks to Steve Dry and Catalyst of Harvard Epworth United Methodist Church, based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, for their generous grant funding of this podcast. Shout out to the talented Joel Adams and Melody Stanford Martin for producing the original song featured in this podcast. Also to Melody for our gorgeous logo design and to our dream team for keeping us grounded and inspired. Until next time, we are fully yours.